At Speedway, we've always been here to get you what you need when you need it. We're committed to keeping our stores open, clean, and safe, so you can stay fueled and refreshed all summer long. We've got cold drinks for hot days and frozen drinks for even hotter ones, plus energy boosts, quick bites, and pick-me-ups. We're always on your way, and we're always here for you. So no matter what you need, when you stop by, we'll be ready. Now buy any three cooler beverages and get 500 bonus Speedy Rewards points. Good morning, America. It is Eric Erickson here. How are you? It is six after the hour. Let's get started. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I was going to begin with conspiracy theories until somebody shot me this Twitter thread, and this is worth beginning. There's a Twitter account uh, called Vocal Distance. And uh, this account, this is, it, it's mind-blowing, particularly as, as you are having conversations about sending your kids back to school. Uh, th- this is crazy. Um, this is a screenshot, he says. It's a Twitter thread of people saying 2 plus 2 equals 5. Uh, you read that right, 2 plus 2 equals 5. Among them are teachers, educators, and professors who plan on teaching this stuff to your children. So let's talk about what's going on here, why they're doing this, and how we can stop it. To start, let's look at exactly what they say as how they argue here is very important. They don't say 2 plus 2 equals 4 is false. They don't say 2 plus 2 always equals 5. What they say is 2 plus 2 can sometimes equal 5 and that 2 plus 2 doesn't always equal 4. Read that again. 2 plus 2 can sometimes equal 5 and 2 plus 2 doesn't always equal 4. These are woke academics. And they're not arguing that 2 plus 2 always equals 5, nor are they arguing that 2 plus 2 never equals 4. They are arguing instead that no universally correct answer to 2 plus 2 is objectively true in all situations. They aren't falsifying 2 plus 2 equals 4. They're deconstructing it. How does deconstruction work? This is one of the reasons I wanted to engage here is because you always hear terms like critical theory and and deconstruction and what exactly is it? So deconstructing works by attacking the meaning of something. This means that words, ideas, concepts, discourses, art, text, symbols, whatever it used to mean, uh, something or, or communicated, it gets deconstructed. It means to destabilize it. So the woke crowd destabilizes meaning because when a thing's meaning is not stable and clear and defined, the meaning of the thing can be redefined and distorted. Then people can come to any conclusion they want about it. Here's an example from Art Architecture and International Relations uh, that he puts up. Uh, Postmodernism, uh, Reflections and Tentative Directions uh, from the Academy of Management Review. Uh, genealogies destabilize meaning. They give us another way to think about our common sense without pretending that the genealogical story is the best story. Postmodernism, this is a quote from the uh, Poetics of Postmodernism, History, Theory, and Fiction. Postmodernism is a fundamentally contradictory enterprise. Its art forms and its theories at once use and abuse, install, and then destabilize convention in periodic ways, self-consciously pointing both to their own internal paradoxes and provisionally, and of course, to their critical or ironic rereading of the art of the past. Here is Advanced Studio Design uh, by Peter Eisenman and Ilsa, uh, Eliza Iterby. It is in this way that architecture can draw upon the cognitive rather than the emotive and thus interdict power 
and destabilize meaning. And then there's this, international relations and the challenge of postmodernism. Uh, the objective of Sylvester's discourse, I have no idea who Sylvester is, a repainting of the canvas of international relations to destabilize meaning, place, and identity so as to produce new perspectives, new questions, and new meaning. Woke people think racism, sexism, and bigotry are baked into the language and concepts we use. Since we think and communicate with language, if the language we use is inherently racist and sexist, then our communication and the ideas we communicate will be racist and sexist. The, this extends now to math. The woke argue objectivity and any either or binary about truth, answers are either true or false, is part of white supremacy. Since math uses objectivity and thinks things can be either true or false, math must be rooted in white supremacy. Don't believe me, here is an academic, uh, John Herbert. Math is actually not universal. Treating it as such is white supremacy. Don't believe me? Check out this comic by some woke person on why 2 plus 2 uh, equals 4 is not always true. Oh, boy. Characteristics of white supremacy include either-or thinking and objectivity. And then there's, of course, the National Museum of African American History, uh, which says that emphasis on the scientific method is white supremacy. Uh, now, here's Dr. Rochelle Gutierrez. She thinks math teachers need political knowledge. She thinks math is political, not just knowledge of teaching math. And she created a type of math where humans are no longer centered. What she teaches her students is as follows. Let me read you her biography. Uh, she's in Champaign, Illinois. She's a professor of curriculum for teachers. She teaches teachers how to teach. Dr. Gutierrez's scholarship focuses on issues of identity and power in mathematics education, paying particular attention to how race, class, and language affect teaching and learning. Through in-depth analysis of effective teaching learning communities and longitudinal studies of developing and practicing teachers, her work challenges deficit views of students who are Latinx, Black, and Indigenous and suggests that mathematics teachers need to be prepared with much more than just content knowledge, pedagogical knowledge, or knowledge of diverse students if they are going to be successful. They need political knowledge. Her current research projects focus upon developing in pre-service teachers the knowledge and disposition to teach powerful mathematics to urban students, the roles of uncertainty, tensions, and Nepantla in teaching and the political knowledge and forms of creative insubordination that mathematics teachers need to effectively rehumanize mathematics in an era of high stakes education. She also builds up indigenous principles and has argued for a new form of mathematics where humans are no longer centered. I always thought numbers were the center of attention. Now I, I got a, ne, 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 what is ne, Nepantla? Nepantla is a concept used in Chicano and Latino anthropology, social commentary, criticism, literature, and art. It represents a concept of in-betweenness. Oh, I'm, I'm going to like say bad words here. Uh, now, this woman's paper begins with her quoting Dr. Kimmerer, who states that science and traditional knowledge can come together by listening to plants. This is an actual paper published in an academic journal. Science and traditional knowledge may ask different questions and speak different languages, but they may converge when both truly listening to the plant. 
facts. Dr. Gutierrez says the idea math can solve anything is a fallacy. She asks why math values logic over intuition and asks students to use logic instead of intuition and teaches people to critique reasoning rather than just appreciate its various reasoning attempts. She then suggests that rather than learning dominant math, students might go outside and learn and appreciate the patterns in bird songs. This is an actual paper. She actually writes in this paper, in lieu of a purely dominant mathematics curriculum, students might be asked to investigate how do we acknowledge, understand, and relate to the patterns in bird songs. Dr. Gutierrez also thinks it's important to ask students to consider how various forms of problem solving bring joy before finally bringing us to her big point. And in what ways might those forms solve problems and bring joy? How do those packages of wings and bodies relate to other packages in humans and other species and imagination? Where does the search for patterns fail to capture other meanings in practice? Does it spark joy? She states directly in her paper, she's not trying to get closer to truth. It's an admission from a tenured professor of education at the University of Illinois, and she comes right out and says she's not trying to find truth. The I don't care about truth thing is common in social justice circles. For example, Kevin Bird, who, the one who, who pushed back on people for saying that two plus two is always four, admits that he doesn't care about what the truth is when he does science. In other words, the woke attack the meaning of ideas via, via deconstruction to dissolve them. They think racism and white supremacy is built into area every area of Western civilization. They're not concerned with truth. So it should come as no surprise that Dr. Gutierrez thinks math has been controlled by global white supremacy. So every area of mathematics might come to the conclusions it does because of white supremacy. So even 2 plus 2 equals 4 might be racist or the result of Western imperialism. So this is where we are. What do we do? Well, you got to go back with clarity. You got to go to school board meetings and say social justice warriors uh, need to sit down and be quiet, and you need to stand up to these people. Now, I, I bring all this up to, to to start this because yesterday I spent some time on critical theory and what it all means. And interestingly enough, overnight Tim Keller published a big piece on on his response to justice of the day and the various forms of justice and why uh, critical theory actually is, is the dumbest of them all. Uh, whether it, you're, you believe in the collective or you believe in the individual or you believe in critical theory, critical theory is the dumbest, uh, the shallowest, and the most contradictory. But here's the thing. Uh, you know, algebra comes from the um, it comes from Islamic communities. Math, actually, you can highlight the universality of math if you believe in absolute truth. And that, that's a relevant point here for, for overwhelmingly white, woke people in this country, that math actually has a universal component to it. It doesn't matter whether you're on Mars or Earth, whether you are Muslim or Chinese, whether you are from sub-Saharan Africa or the, the, the southern tip of Argentina and South America or an Eskimo village in Alaska. Two plus two always equals four. It doesn't matter where you are. That's why some of the... the, the um, Brilliant mathematicians of old were Chinese or Islamic or Greek. Pythagoras was not exactly a white dude. And yet we have this woke society now in, in control of academia or increasingly in control of academia. We have uh, political people on the left who want to give voice to this stuff. And essentially what they're doing is they're defining deviancy down 
but they're also defining intelligence down. They're essentially trying to give kids passes on not learning, and they're setting these kids up for future disadvantage. You know, here, here's the thing. Even in communist societies, look at China, look at Russia, look at the Soviet Union of the day. Even in those societies, some people get ahead. They, they, they love to paint this utopia, but there's always an academic and an intellectual elite. And in this country and in capitalist societies, we have tended to make our elite based on a meritocracy. Jeff Bezos is the world's richest man because he invented a product and a service that does the world a lot of good. Bill Gates is a fabulously wealthy person because he made uh, took computing to the masses. People are rewarded for their ingenuity. In, in communist society, that's not actually the way it works. In communist society, it is the people who have the in with uh, the political elite who then can become the business elite. They get the preferred contracts. And we're seeing this more and more in this country. And frankly, it's on both sides of the aisle. You've now got people on the right saying conservatism has failed. What we need to do is, is reward our friends when we have power in the way the left rewards their friends when they have power. It's not an intellectually honest. It's consistent, but there's no intellectual honesty to it. You're not actually elevating the meritocracy. We're seeing this uh, in infest people on the left and the right. But it is worse in academics. And the problem here is this is actual racism. When you tell the black child you don't need to, to accept that 2 plus 2 equals 4, it can be whatever you want it to be. Let that black child then go out and, and get a job as a cashier at a McDonald's where 2 plus 2 is going to equal 4 or you're going to get sued or arrested for shortchanging the customer. Is that then white supremacy? essentially what they're doing is saying that the rules of the world no longer have to apply. But the reason they want to say the rules of the world no longer have to apply is because they want to break down the rules of the world because they believe those rules were the product of Western civilization, which is the product of white supremacy, and they want to write rules in their image. But the problem with writing the rules in their image is they've already acknowledged that objectivity and truth are bad. And so they want a destabilized society where, where they can continue to, to in this um, bizarre, like an Escher print of reality, rearrange the stairs at every opportunity to always give themselves an inherent advantage. See, if you're on the left and you believe in critical theory, you see everything through the lens of power. The whole world does not exist based on the lens of power, believe it or not. I mean, Christianity itself upends the power structure. The, the, the very God of humanity uh, dies on a cross. I mean, how's that for power? He stands uh, tried by, by humanity that he created and dies on a cross. It upends power structures. Uh, what communists want to do, what, what critical theorists want to do, is they want to put themselves in charge and then preserve power for themselves. It has everything to do with marginalizing everyone else and putting themselves in power. And the victim is your kid. If you're black or Hispanic in particular, and you're going to a public school where these people have taught the kids who teach your kids math, uh, suddenly math no longer applies. The great universal program. You know, it, we, what was the um, what was the movie, uh, the, 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 the math, uh, the women at NASA? Um, oh, what was the movie? It was such a good movie. Um, um, one of you is going to text me all of a sudden as, as I'm doing this. Hidden figures. Yes, hidden figures. It was one of the great points of the movie 
is that math was so universal, it transcended blackness, it transcended whiteness, it transcended racial barriers. A black woman could help Alan Shepard orbit the planet or, or John Glenn orbit the planet and get safely back to Earth because math transcended race. Math was universal. It didn't matter whether you were black or white. Everyone had access to the tools because everyone knew two plus two equals four. When that breaks down by paternalistic white people, you're essentially preventing future Mary Jacksons from ever happening. You're preventing uh, future hidden figure stories from ever happening because you're preventing kids from learning a universal language that is mathematics, a language that is reflected in the universe itself. All because you want power and believe you've been marginalized and you're willing to hold the future hostage. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. They are winding down the census ahead of schedule at the end of September. They're going to wind down the census. This is actually uh, notably important. You need to fill out your census. Now, listen, If I'm, I'm not going to make you fill out your census, uh, but do understand that they may show up at your house if you don't go on and fill out your census. Uh, and if you fill out your census online at my, what is it, my 2020 census, something like that, my 2020 census, yes, .gov. Uh, if you fill out your, your census at my2020census.gov, they, one, they won't come to your house, and two, you get the short survey. If they come to the, your house, they're going to ask you all the detailed questions. How many toilets do you have? What do you do for a living? How long have you had that job? Um, and what do the people in your house do? All, all the annoying stuff. And, and by law, you're supposed to answer that stuff. The, the bigger issue with the census, though, that you need to understand is that uh, the census is about dividing up federal dollars. Now, you're saying, well, I'm not going to fill out the census because I don't want the money spent. The money is going to get spent. The money is allocated. Um, it, the, the money for the census is automatically allocated, and it's either going to go to Georgia or it's going to go to New York City or Florida or somewhere else. Uh, so if you fill out your census... The more people in Georgia who fill it out, uh, one, we may be in line for another congressional district, and two, uh, you may actually um, be allowed to, uh, you, you may be able to get more money for your local school district. And that's one of the big things here is a lot of the federal tax dollars for school districts for po- fighting poverty, uh, welfare payments, things like that are allocated based on the census. And again, this is important for for small government people like me. uh, You need to understand this, that you refusing to fill out the census doesn't mean there's going to be less money spent. It just means that money is going to be spent in a different state. So my2020census.gov is the website. uh, And there are parts of Georgia, particularly in North Georgia, that are running behind in filling out the census. And that means that those parts of the state could be deprived of revenue compared to other parts of the state. Because remember, uh, it, it goes down to the census track and to the zip code as to how the money is allocated. So if more people in South Georgia fill out the census than people in North Georgia do in those counties, uh, the South Georgia counties that register larger populations than the census are going to get more allocated dollars than those in North Georgia counties that failed to do it. That It is a competition within states as well as among the states, and it is vitally important that everybody does it. Uh, My2020census.gov is the website. You can go and get started, fill it out. It, it takes less than 10 minutes to do. 
Uh, I did it myself online because uh, I don't want the annoying census worker to show up at my house and start grilling me on how many toilets I have and how many cars I have and the like. Uh, it, it, all they want is is your your name, the names of those people who live in your house, uh, and whether they're male or female, and and your race basically, and, and whether or not you have a job. Uh, and they're, by the way, by law, by the Constitution, they're entitled to get that information for you. Uh, don't say it's none of their business. Actually, it is their business, and they can do it. Uh, you might as well get it done so you don't have somebody knocking on your door before the end of the year to get it because they will show up at your door if you don't fill it out online. So go do it now. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is... 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. To the phones we go. First, we're going to go to Tom in Atlanta. Welcome. Hey, how you doing, Eric? Good. How are you? I'm okay. I hope you're healthy and everything and everybody there and your families. Um, So two things. First, to your point about people not being able to make change. Well, there seems to be this... Uh, progressively increasing movement to uh, have us use less and less cash. So when that, if that ever takes root where there is none, then you just show up and you use your biometric identifier or some card or something. And and the people at the uh, on the other side of the register, if that even happens anymore, if everything isn't done online, then that won't be an issue. They won't need to know the math. And the second point is, do you think or the question for you is, do you think, as a biblical scholar, uh, do you think we have entered or are about to or in the middle of it, big T or lowercase t tribulation? <laughs> uh, okay, so I, I, I will tell you my, my worldview on this one, Tom. Think that That is a good question. Um, do do I think from Tom, have we entered the, the, the big tribulation or, or the little tribulation, ca- capital T? Or little, little t. Are, are we in the end times? Uh, and I've talked about this before. And I, I honestly, genuinely think uh, that it doesn't matter. I am an amillennialist um, with premillennial sympathies. And let me explain. I, I want to be cautious how I do this. There are clearly things happening now. But we have to be mindful that in the past, people also saw at their times things that happened and they presumed the end was upon us. The collapse of Rome was a global psychological phenomenon. I mean, we we think, um, let's just say, let's say tomorrow Washington, D.C. goes up in smoke. It would be a global psychological phenomenon. It would rattle the world to its core if that happened. And that's essentially the barbarian sacking Rome uh, that that was akin to that. Uh, the entire world thought something, some upheaval, some end of time event was happening, and, and it wasn't. In World War One. Uh, People were dealing with a Spanish flu that was killing many more people faster than the war itself was killing people. And people thought the the end was nigh. You you know, eschatology, the study of the end times, is always written from your vantage point. And you read uh, the eschatological works uh, of the people during the, the Rome being sacked, and there was a deep pessimism setting in. Same in World War I. 
But, you know, in, in the early 1900s, uh, before World War One set in, the, the eschatology, you, you've got an awaken, a second great awakening happening in this country. People were very positive in, in the early 1800s in the run-up to the Civil War. Uh, a lot of people very positive after the Civil War was over again. You, you got a lot of people positive thinking. We're, we're in a tumultuous time, but it's just a, a new time for us. It's not a new time for the world. So I, I don't think you can say, yes, th- this is the end. Th- this is it. We're, we're on the glide path to the apocalypse now. I mean, the, the theological reality is that since the second co- or since the resurrection, we have been on the glide path to uh, the second coming. But I, I don't think it matters, nor do I think that we should dwell on it. Uh, do I certainly think there are things happening now, volcanoes, earthquakes, random uh, earthquakes where we've never seen them before? Uh, more notice of it. A friend of mine is a geologist, and he says it's not that there are so many new ones. It's just that we uh, now have a global monitoring system and a news service that makes us aware of them. I will say this, it is commonly held in biblical orthodoxy uh, that for for the Messiah to be to come to earth the first time, as Jesus did, born of a virgin, uh, it had to be a during Roman imperial times where the gospel message could hit paved roads and spread throughout the known uh, Eastern Hemisphere into Africa. I mean, was is it Thomas who made it all the way to southern India? Uh, that that Christ, if, if he was born before then, there would not be a, a essentially a Western empire in which the, his his dominance could spread, his message could spread. It would have been much more uh, sporadic. Now, if if he's coming back, and, and Scripture says that the whole world will see, uh, he could not have come back before this moment because we did not have a global communications infrastructure where if he shows up in Jerusalem, the rest of us can get a live TV feed to be able to see it. Uh, so he couldn't have come back before now technologically just for all of us to see it as Scripture says it would happen. Uh, do, do I think we're closer? Yes. Do I think it'll happen in my lifetime? Probably not. My kid's lifetime? Maybe so. Uh, clearly something is happening. But again, it's important that, one, it doesn't matter because, two, you don't know the name, and three, you're supposed to focus on the present. Every moment that you spend fixated on the future is a moment you're distracted from the present, and the present is actually where you find God, not the future, not the past. You find God here in the present. And when you spend all of your time worried about what the future is going to be like, you miss the tangible blessings that you have right now. When you spend all of your time fretting that today is not as good as yesterday, uh, well, then you've made yesterday an idol and you too are in sin. So don't worry about what happens tomorrow or the next day or when the second coming is or is the apocalypse upon us. Worry about this moment right now. Tomorrow will take care of itself. What can you do to be a good person to love your neighbors today? That's what matters, uh, which is why I don't like to spend a ton of time on the uh, eschatology of where we are right now. Uh, Let's see. Randy in Rome, going to go to you next. Welcome. Good morning. How are you, sir? Good. How are you? Oh, it's a beautiful day. I'm just sitting here looking out at the beautiful sky. Uh, Nice. What you just said was so significant to one of the things I wanted to lead into. Tom was asking, you couldn't say that unless you're able to talk about historical perspective. You see, you see the history, you see the events, you see the Bible, and all of it fit into place there. And, you know, I read yesterday, we're up in Illinois, they're wanting to eliminate the teaching of history in the schools. Right. They want to get rid of that because it, it's racist or it's, or, or it's something, fill in the blank on something like that. And so many times we want to eliminate what we find uncomfortable in the past and don't want to deal with it, or we want, or, and I think this is more the case, and I found this kind of in reading James 2 this morning, that it is a group of people wanting to exploit everybody else to their own benefit. 
uh, talks to James, too, about the wealth he exploited nearby and dragging him into court. Well, this is one of the situations where we have the knowledge, we're the most important. We want to exploit you so we can get our power to what we think of as important. And historically speaking, this is not going to be accepted by a lot of people, but one of the people who really loved that idea was W.B. Du Bois. He believed very strongly in the talented 10th, that top 10% of the elite. He was he was pretty much a pseudo-Marxist, but the ideas are – it's just different names, different times, different places. People want to be the most significant, and they want to make themselves more significant, and they want to exploit that so they can be the people who are in power. They do, I mean, and I'm glad this, you said that because so much of it is exploitative. Uh, so much of it is uh, – yeah, it, well, it, it's, it's perverse, and it, it's about rewriting history to conform right. to their narratives, and, and it's all about the narrative. It's not about fact, and we see that more and more. And, and if we're really honest, this is – and Randy, thanks for the phone call. This is this is uh, descended into the right and the left. Uh, everyone wants to rewrite history. Uh, in, in their own worldview, but more so we want to see current events and we want to exclude facts that are uh, upsetting to our worldview, upsetting to our narrative. Uh, for example, show you don't need to show of hands, but I, I know it's going to be almost everyone on the ground. How many of you are convinced all the polls are wrong? Virtually every single one of you. Now, ask yourself this question and be honest, be honest here. Okay, you don't have to call in, just be honest. If all of the polls show Donald Trump ahead of Joe Biden, how many of you would believe the polls were right? A sizable portion of you. They, they don't tell you what you want to hear, so you dismiss it, as opposed to dealing with the reality. You concoct, well, they were wrong in 2016. Actually, they weren't. Hillary Clinton did win the popular vote by a less than a percentage point off from what the polls said she would. But, 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 swing votes, electoral, yeah, 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 I know, I know, but it's not like they were really wrong. And, and yet, because it, it, it doesn't comport to your worldview, you've got to upend them. The left does this as well, and, and, and the left is very notorious about this because the left believes that whoever controls history uh, actually can be dominant. Uh, you know, this is... Um, I mentioned this Tim Keller thing earlier. Let me read you some of this. Uh, He's talking about a a biblical critique of secular justice and critical theory. And he he goes through some of them, and he gets into uh, postmodernism power. Just society subverts the power of dominant groups in favor of the oppressed. Drawing on the teaching of Karl Marx, what can be called postmodern critical theory has emerged very recently with its own account of justice, which is sharply different from the others. Because it has taken shape more recently and has come on the scene so forcefully, we will take more time to describe and interact with it. Postmodern critical theory argues, first, the explanation of all unequal outcomes and wealth, well-being, and power is never due to individual actions or to differences in cultures or to differences in human ability, but only and strictly due to unjust social structures and systems, the only way to fix unequal outcomes for the downtrodden is through social policy, never by asking anyone to change their behavior or culture. Second, all art, religion, philosophy, morality, law, media, politics, education, and forms of the family are determined not by reason or truth, but by social forces as well. 
Everything is determined by your class consciousness and social location. Religious doctrine, together with all politics and laws, are always at bottom a way for people to get or maintain social status, wealth, and therefore power over others. Third, therefore, reality is at bottom nothing but power. And if that is the case, then to see reality, power must be mapped through the means of intersectionality. The categories are race, gender, sexual orientation, gender identity, sometimes others. If you're white, male, straight, cisgender, then you have the highest amount of power. If you are none of these at all, you are the most marginalized and oppressed. And there are numerous categories in the middle. Most importantly, each category toward the powerless end of the spectrum has a greater moral authority and a greater ability to see the way truly... Uh, how things are. Only powerlessness and oppression bring moral high ground and true knowledge. Therefore, those with more privilege must not enter into any debate. They have no right or ability to advise the oppressed, blinded as they are by their social location. Fourth, the main way power is exercised is through language, the dominant discourse. The dominant discourse is any truth claim, whether grounded in supposed reason and science or in religion and morality. Language does not merely describe reality. It constructs or creates it. Power structures mask themselves behind the language of rationality and truth. Now I'm going to skip down a little bit uh, and and get to what he says as a, a, a quick biblical analysis of this. It is deeply incoherent. If all truth claims and justice agendas are socially constructed to maintain power, then why aren't the claims and agendas of the adherents of this view subject to the same critique? Why are the postmodern justice advocates claims that this is oppression unquestionably morally right, while all other moral claims are mere social constructs? If everyone is blinded by class consciousness and social location, why aren't they? Intersectionality claims oppressed people see things clearly, but why would they, if social forces make us wholly what we are and control how we understand reality? Are they less formed by social forces than others? And if all people with power who call the shot socially, culturally, economically, and control public discourse inevitably use it for domination, then if any revolutionaries were able to replace the oppressors at the top of society, why would they not become people that should be subsequently rebelled against and replaced? What would make them different? The postmodern account of justice has no good answer for these questions. You cannot insist that all morality is culturally constructed and relative and then claim that your moral claims are not. This is not a flaw that other Christians can see, and, and this may therefore be a fatal flaw for the entire theory. This is not a flaw that only Christians can see. It's, it's, it's a fatal flaw everyone can see. Also, it's far too simplistic. The postmodern view of justice follows Rousseau and Marx, who saw human beings as inherently good or blank slates. Any evil is instilled in us by society, by social forces, uh, by systemic forces. So the pathologies of poverty, crime, violence, and abuse are due to only one thing, social policy. But biblically, we know we're complex beings socially, morally, and constitutionally. The reason for evil and for unjust outcomes in life are multiple and complex. So, for example, the restoration of a poor community will require a rich, multidimensional understanding of human flourishing. It also undermines our common humanity. Biblically, we're primarily individuals before God made in his image and secondly, members of a racial nationality. The postmodern view makes one's racial or group identity primary and supersedes all loyalty to nations or the human race or anything else. And it denies our common sinfulness. Now, that, that's Tim Keller writing and, and his points are great. And, and this is what we're seeing now on the left with these constructs that they, they claim that somehow if you're a white dude who believes in Jesus and you're married and has kids, you're not allowed to play a role in any conversation. And, and if you're if you're a, a 
uh, one-armed hermaphroditic Muslim transgender lesbian, then you're the person who should reign supreme over everyone else. None of it actually makes any sense. But that's what they push. And that's what they believe. And there are inherent contradictions. And, And here's the thing. There are a lot of people now on the right who say, in order to keep winning, we must do as the left does. To do as the left does, you must abandon traditional truth and morality and also make it all about power and postmodern constructs. The problem here is intuitively most people know that that's garbage. Even in communist societies, most of the communists knew it was garbage. They just did it because they didn't have a gun and and they couldn't take power themselves. The way to beat the left is not to behave like the left, and the way to beat the left is not to, to twist power and language like the left. The way is to actually speak truth, real truth, objective truth, uh, because most people actually recognize that, and, and your speaking truth reveals the crazy on the other side. And I think we in politics uh, sometimes forget that uh, the, the boldest person is the person who stands up and says the truth, and oftentimes they're not liked, but they're the people that ultimately everyone winds up listening to because in a world full of crazy, the truth teller stands out as smart. I just put that uh, piece by Tim Keller up on my Twitter feed. If you follow me on Twitter uh, at EW Erickson, you can find it and I'll put it on my Substack stack uh, later today as well. Uh, if you, if you subscribe to my newsletter uh, at EW Erickson.substack.com, I'll, I'll push it out. Um, it, it's actually a very, very good read. And as someone who kind of values individual liberty over everything else, it, 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 is, it definitely calls me to task a little bit as well that, that sometimes we do have uh, corporate responsibility and it, it's worth reading. I, I, I want to I take a segue from, from politics and everything else. I, I really do want to get into conspiracy theories and stuff um, because, man, there's some, some interesting data, also mail-in balloting and all. Uh, but I, 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 I want to put this out there to you if you're interested at all. Um, there is a, a group out there called Arch on Ready Group, and they are former special operators, some of them still engaged uh, at the contractor level, and they are doing a gun school in Atlanta uh, the weekend of December 5th. Uh, it is pistol one day, rifle the next day. Uh, it is incredible training, genuinely incredible training. This is not an ad, by the way. My wife and I just signed up for it. Uh, and I know they're, they haven't really done a lot of PR efforts. I know one of the guys who is on the board of Arch Unready. I, I speak very highly of this group. I mean, it is incredible training what they do. They go around the country. They focus on training SWAT teams. But when they go to a city, if there's demand, they'll also do a civilian training program. And so we sign up for the civilian training program. It's, it's pistol one day and it's rifle the next day. And if you go to uh, my Instagram page, uh, you can you can see it, but if you're really interested, I put the link in. If you text the word data to three three seven seven seven, text the word data to three three seven seven seven. There's actually a link at, at the top. I'll send back to you, and it's their res- reservation page. I want to say it's like five hundred dollars, but it's over two days, uh, and it is it is SEALs and Delta Force guys who they they teach you the physics of it. Uh, they teach a use of the gun. Uh, they teach you why certain things are always done, why certain things are recommended. It, it really is uh, just informative. Even if you're a pro, it's very challenging. Uh, what call a noir, call you a noir. 
uh, actually went through the program very recently in Las Vegas and, and was talking about it on his um, uh, YouTube page about how it was even challenging to him. If you're interested at all, uh, text DATA to 33777. You'll see a link to it as Archon Ready Group. Um, this is also a perfect time for me to tell you about uh, True Precision. True Precision, a great sponsor of this program. I'm actually going this evening uh, with an ambassador uh, who will remain nameless, or I guess a general, a special, uh, a council general. Uh, we're going to shoot guns, and I will have my concealed carry gun with me from True Precision. If you want to find out more, go to true-precision.com. They don't make guns, but they make upgrades to your existing guns. Uh, slides and barrels, triggers, sights, uh, they can refurbish your guns. I've got a concealed carry Glock 43X from them. It is phenomenal. It is a, a phenomenal gun. It is a work of art. And I highly recommend them uh, because of their upgrades that they can do. Uh, no, it's just it's a cool looking gun. And, and if you're going to have a gun, distinguish it from everybody else's gun. Theirs is a great way to do it. Their their barrels are, are fantastic. The, the sights, the, the trigger. I haven't upgraded my trigger yet with them yet. They've got these Axiom triggers and I want one of those. And we're gonna, they just got some in. Uh, if you go to true-precision.com, that's the website, you can order their parts online to ship to you. If you use ERIC as a checkout code, you'll get 10% off. Uh, E-R-I-C-K is your checkout code. You'll get 10% off. Highly recommend True Precision. Uh, make your gun stand out on the gun range. Uh, make your gun stand out in general. True-precision.com is their website. Good morning and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. It is uh, 10.06 my time. Uh, some of you may hear me in delay, but I'm telling you what time it is. You should all be hearing me live anyway. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. If you want to be a part of the program, you are allowed 877-973-7425. And now, my friends, we must do what I intended to start the show with. If you weren't here for the first hour, uh, we, we, we actually spent way more time than I intended on woke mathematics. Believe it or not, there is a growing movement among educators, not mathematicians, mind you, but educators uh, who teach your children how to teach other children. And uh, they, they want you to get rid of the idea that math is objective and absolutist. So if you think 2 plus 2 equals carrots... Uh, then, it, it, look, if you truly believe that 2 plus 2 equals carrots, then it, who cares what, what white supremacists say? Who cares what li those, those, those white supremacists like the Islamic inventors of algebra would tell you? No, no. Um, it, 2 plus 2 can equal carrots in your house. Well, yeah, we, we, I wanted to actually start the show with conspiracy theories. So let's talk about conspiracy theories because I have strongly held views on conspiracy theories. And let's be honest here. Every single one of you believes a conspiracy theory, myself included. Some of us just don't talk about our conspiracy theories because we know they're kind of crazy. I'll tell you mine. I, I'm not afraid to tell you mine. I, I think that uh, much like the Soviets in the 1980s, the Chinese have uh, sympathizers in uh, media outlets around the country who shape a pro-China, anti-American narrative from their uh, American media purchase perches, and some of them are probably on the Chinese payroll. I, I, I believe that to be true with no evidence. But uh, there's a lot of evidence out there. Uh, that, that their sympathy towards China is out there. Um, uh, the United States being a free society will always have people opposed to it uh, who hate those freedoms. You know, you've got the Jacobin uh, publication now out saying that mom and pop shops need to be devalued, that they, they don't pay uh, fair wages and they're bad. Uh, the Jacobin is a far left 
socialist uh, publication. Uh, who knew they suddenly liked Walmart? Charlie, uh, my producer, pointed that out on, on Twitter a while ago. Suddenly Walmart is good for these people. The big box stores for the win. But they're, they're, So the reason I wanted to bring up uh, conspiracy theories, the, the reason I want to talk about conspiracy theories right now is a conspiracy theory that a quarter of Americans believe, and it does not matter your politics. Left, right, and center. There is a, um, there actually is a conspiracy theory that has captured the minds of a quarter of the population. And that is that a group of elite somewhere are responsible for COVID-19. That is the, the prevailing theory of the day. A conspiracy theory, a quarter of the population believes that someone somewhere, some elite group, is responsible for the virus. Now, I, I, I let, let, let's delve into this because it doesn't. It, people, it, if you're on the left or the right, you blame someone else. If you're on the left and you believe that a, a group of elite started the virus, uh, you tend to blame the president and his team, and it is their way to capture more power and ignore the election and set up an authoritarian, totalitarian regime in this country. If you're on the right, you believe it was Bill Gates and Dr. Fauci, or you believe it was an intentional plot by the Chinese. Now, some people on the left also believe it was an intentional willful plot by the Chinese. But let's. there's a kernel of truth here in that, yes, I think the prevailing sentiment at this point is that the, the coronavirus that began spreading in China did spread earlier than we first thought, and it did come from this uh, bioweapons laboratory in Wuhan, China. Uh, I do not believe it was malicious. I don't think there's any evidence that it was malicious. The fact that it spread through China and, and by all accounts, is was way more devastating and killed way more Chinese people than we'll ever know. I mean, y'all don't understand. Uh, we have satellite analysis from China and there are whole areas of China where we can tell uh, people that once lived no longer live, and it has nothing to do with rounding them up and sending them to the concentration camps. Just do it. They all died. There, there, I, I, there was an article. Where was it? Um, was it the Washington Post or the New York Times back in March about uh, the, the data coming out of China shows a wind down of their economy and, and a huge loss of life? In Iran, satellite images have shown uh, massive uh, mass burial sites. Uh, we've seen uh, the Chinese um, crematoriums. The, the the outflow of ash from Chinese crematoriums has affected uh, weather patterns in Asia. Like ash has been raining down in, in South Korea and in Japan. And based on the weather patterns, it had to come from China. We, it, it, I don't believe that it was a, a willful, malicious release from the Chinese government because it hit China first and way worse than anyone realizes. But I definitely think that there's a lot of evidence that come from this lab where they were experimenting with it, and it was probably an accidental release. I've had a couple of senators tell me that based on their conversations with people in the intelligence community, they actually do believe that there was a, a lab assistant in China who got careless and accidentally got infected, and that's how the, the virus spread. 
That is a prevailing theory within our intelligence community. But it wasn't a, a malicious release. But so so let's let's not focus on China. Let's focus on the other because there's a larger issue here when it comes to conspiracy theory. So a quarter of Americans, a quarter of Americans believe that COVID nineteen was released by a group of elite. On the left, the prevailing sentiment is that it was by people who were trying to help Donald Trump set up an authoritarian totalitarian regime. And on the right, it is by people who believe Bill Gates and Dr. Fauci are trying to cash in by making everyone sick, develop a vaccine on the patents, and ching. None of this is true, and yet people believe it. And it, there are kernels of truth along the way that make people believe it. So, for example, on the right, it is true that Dr. Fauci uh, his name is on a lot of patents, and the reason his name is on a lot of patents is because he's the head of the uh, National Institute for uh, Allergies and, and, and Asthmatic Medicine. I can't remember the name of it. And being the head of that, that governmental agency, patent law requires that the head of a governmental agency have his name on the patent, even though he's not allowed to cash in. He's prohibited by law. Patents require individual names to be on patents, and so Dr. Fauci, as head of the department, has to have his name on it. Uh, He's not allowed to cash in. That's why he gets paid such a good government salary. He's not allowed to cash in on his patents. Uh, Bill Gates, it is true, is setting up factories around the world to manufacture uh, the best available vaccine out there, and he's going to shut down all the others. That's true, but he's doing it through his foundation as a nonprofit. He's not profiting off of it. That's false. Uh, And yet people believe this. There are also people I have encountered now uh, on regular occasion on a daily basis now, people who really do believe that COVID-19 was released into the wild uh, in order to ruin the president's chances in November, that all of this is uh, amplified and exaggerated and it's not real, it's not true. And uh, the, the virus really isn't out there and, and nobody has it. And the people who do have it, it's just a mild flu. So nobody has it, but people who have it, it is a mild flu. The conspiracy theories write themselves and they exaggerate. I, I, I know two people well, a married couple, and they are genuinely convinced that COVID-19 is not real, that it is a media talking point in collaboration with the Democrats, and that hospitals really are not full of COVID-19 patients, that it is all a plot down to the state governmental level. Now, now here's the thing about this is that – so I, I know Donald Rumsfeld, don't know him well, but I spent time with him, and Rumsfeld was an aide to the Warren Commission. And to this day, there are conspiracies about who really killed John F. Kennedy. Uh, it could not have been this lone guy, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. It, it could not have been him. And the reason is because we believe that our government has to have been more competent uh, and, and would have been able to stop a lone gunman. It had to be an, a, an intergovernmental mob, mafia communist Cuba plot led by Lyndon Johnson or some such, or, or there must have been another shooter. And listen, I can't dissuade you. Uh, and and Rumsfeld's point is that it, it really was a lone gunman and that people have a higher opinion of the competence of government than they should have, uh, never have a, a, a high opinion of the competence of government, that many of the things that you see in government can best be explained uh, on the presumption that the government's enemies are in charge of the government, which isn't really true, but it explains how the government works. Uh, and the reality is that no one can keep a secret. 
So if you had a, a uh, multinational, multilateral, multi-institutional plot to spread the virus, to be able to ruin the president's chances of reelection that was owned by uh, the media and by Democratic politicians and by uh, the local political leaders around the country, one of them would spill the beans on it. And you would have a cascading effect of people coming forward. People can't keep a secret. But what's really going on with the rise of conspiracy theories? Because it's not just the virus. There are elaborate conspiracy theories, and more so on the left these days, there are these conspiracy theories about power and access to power. It's derived from this intersectionality stuff that I was talking about earlier, where people really genuinely believe that it, 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 people don't want to give up power, and and, and they're, they're looking for someone to explain things. And, and there are a couple of things here I want you to understand, some of which are going to make you mad. Number one. Most people invent conspiracy theories because they need to understand the way the world works and can't accept that the world works as simply as it does. You must develop this uh, elaborate plot for how the government works because you can't accept that at the basic level, government works very simply. It's got to be complicated. There's got to be someone pulling the levers. Two, you must invent a conspiracy to avoid blaming yourself. You suck. You failed at life. Something bad happened to you. And therefore, you must construct in your mind a conspiracy that it really wasn't your fault so that you never have to own up to your participation in the bad thing that happened to you. It was someone was out to get you. There was a governmental plot. There was a media plot. And all of these things transpired to get you. You you can't accept uh, the reality of your situation. You don't want to admit defeat. You don't want to admit your own failure. So it must be a, a, a conspiracy. Uh, three, the world is actually far more simple and easy to understand than, than what you imagine because the world seems so complex. So you've got to invent a conspiracy to make it complex. Two, you, you, you can't accept responsibility for your own fault, so you, there must be a conspiracy. And three, you take tangible parts of truth inside your confirmation bias and prejudice, and then you narrate in your head a story to tell you and explain to you what has happened that makes you sleep well at night. So your conspiracy theories are the world must be complex. Therefore, you invent complexity through conspiracy. Uh, you can't accept blame for your own faults. So therefore, you must invent a conspiracy to blame others. It really wasn't your fault. It was this elaborate conspiracy. Or three, you just need to sleep well at night. And so you've got to invent this conspiracy. And all of these ultimately lead you away from reality and truth, very much towards postmodernism. And in a world where truth is no longer valued on the left, it becomes really easy on the right to also distance yourself from truth and and, and it create these, these elaborate machinations. You know, at the end of the day, I mean, for example, how many of you really believe that the president isn't an idiot? He's just doing elaborate fourth dimensional chess on multiple layers to outman everyone. And, and, and it's already in the bag and the election's going to happen. Uh, when I, I guarantee you, I guarantee you that most of you listening, and I don't mean this to be insulting, and I know it's going to come across this way. If the president loses in November, instead of accepting he really always was an idiot with no self-discipline, you're going to presume that it was an elaborate conspiracy with the virus and, and the media industrial complex to steal the election from the president. And if only the votes had accurately been counted, he would have won. 
I mean, and the president's own team has played into your conspiracy mind by, by casting doubt on the election already, uh, knowing where this is headed. Listen, um, the polling is not all wrong. These people do have jobs. They want credibility. They're not intentionally sabotaging the polling. And frankly, most of you at the polling showed the president was ahead. You would believe the polling, but because it doesn't tell you what you want to hear, you're refusing to accept it. It's all elaborate confirmation bias in your own prejudice inside your own bubble. Everyone you know believes something, therefore it must be true, even if it's not true. And no one gets challenged anymore on this stuff because you only go to the media that that tells you what you want to hear. You're turning the dial right now because I made you mad on this. It is shocking to me how many more people in this day and age would prefer to believe a conspiracy on the left and the right. The amount of people on the left who believe conspiracy, the, the Russians stole the election for Donald Trump. It had nothing to do with Hillary Clinton. Uh, the, the, the Steele dossier was legit even though it wasn't. All of these things on the left to help them sleep well at night and to explain the world that went against them and to explain away their own failures and make it someone else's problem. Uh, You you know, at some point, there really is real truth and there really are real facts and and we have an obligation to get them and not just get them from the single source that tells us everything we want to hear that confirms all of our biases. Because oftentimes, they're all more interested in shaping a narrative and telling you a story than telling you the truth. And you got to learn to distinguish between the narrative and the actual truth of the matter asserted. Hello there, it's Eric Erickson here. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. This hour of the program is brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. They're in Noonan, Georgia. They are uh, local to us here in Georgia. Good people, the Frost family active in politics, and they've been doing First Liberty since 1993. They have been helping small businesses become big businesses, getting them access to loans that they need. Um, They've done all sorts of great ways, uh, bridge loans, capitalization for businesses. If your business right now needs access to lines of credit and loans uh, and lending to grow your business or sustain your business during this economic challenging time, reach out to my friends at First Liberty. Go to firstlibertyga.com. More importantly, if your company needs to take advantage of PPP as the government figures out what it's going to do, uh, consider uh, First Liberty to be a great access uh, asset for you, please. Uh, the the number again, or the, the website again, firstlibertyga.com, firstlibertyga.com. Tell the uh, Brant Frost, he's the dad and and he's in charge of it and he's a great guy solid christian good businessman as well and wants to help you tell him i sent you firstlibertyga.com the government still has no idea what it's going to do by the way with its economic uh package that it wants to produce right now for the government and, and for businesses everybody out there these days seems to have their own opinion of what they should do what they shouldn't do uh how to design it it's just not uh not not good Everybody is beside themselves on the solution. Everyone is talking past each other. No one seems to have a real answer. And and then you've got people like uh, Jim Clyburn, who admits the Democrats can't even just do a short-term extension. Listen to this. Uh, Nick cries out for leadership. We need national leadership, and we're not getting it. Senate Republicans did try this past week to pass a one-week extension of the additional $600 a week unemployment benefits. Democrats blocked it. So why not, if it's so needed, and it certainly seems to be, agree to the short-term fix while you're negotiating a longer deal? Because we need to have a well-coordinated activity here. We passed the HEROES Act in the House. Why won't they then bring the HEROES Act or whatever part of it they would like to the table. They won't do it. They pass out the so-called HEALS Act. I don't remember 
exactly what it stood for, but did not even anything for state and local governments. Uh, nothing uh, to uh, for unemployed people. That's why we want to do it. Right. Well, that's, that's it. understandable, but that's what you're negotiating about, right? So isn't it just, a, a, a frankly, a political play to not allow the at least one-week extension while you're trying to maximize your leverage? Well, then we're always trying to maximize leverage. They're trying to maximize leverage. How long ago did we send them this law uh, that we passed in the House? In other words, it's all political for the Democrats right now. It's political gamesmanship that they are engaged with here uh, to not get a plan. They're they're trying to drag this out. Uh, and, of course, you know, the Republicans, it's very much like the uh, police reform package that Tim Scott produced. Uh, the Republicans were willing to pass it. It had much of what the Democrats wanted. And then the Democrats decided to filibuster. You know, the filibuster, that Jim Crow-era tactic, uh, as Barack Obama described it the other day, the, the Democrats used that tactic to block meaningful police reform that they themselves wanted because they would rather the political issue. This is part of the problem in Washington these days is that everyone wants the political issue. No one wants the solution because as long as the problem festers, uh, you can get people to vote for your side. It, it's uh, speaking of conspiracies. It's one of the other elaborate conspiracies on the right is that uh, Republicans never actually want to solve the abortion problem because their voters would go away if they did. That's not actually true, uh, but that's what more and more people think because they have a lot of people who claim to love babies and actually don't. Uh, these Republican voters can't admit, one, they've been lied to, and two, also, uh, that you, you do have to have 60 votes in the Senate to get things through. So votes actually matter, not conspiracies. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-973-7425. Philip tells me, I do have another conspiracy theory, but it's not a conspiracy theory. It actually is true. Uh, He believes uh, it is a conspiracy theory that uh, I'm convinced demons have Twitter accounts. No, no, no. That's actually true. Uh, All you have to do is get on my timeline and look at my mentions and you will see. You know, so the bad thing is I on social media, on, on Twitter in particular, several years ago, I decided it was good for my sanctification to start following more theologians than politicians. And I unfollowed people in politics and followed more theologians and occasionally see great insight uh, and will retweet it or comment on it for others. I feel so terrible every time I do because the the amount of hate uh, that, that, that comes pouring forth from Twitter. You, you know, so there's that story in the Bible. Hang on a second. I can find it for you. Um, where is it? Uh, yep. Here we go. Um, yep, yep, yep. Little did Philip know texting me was going to, going to get this, this dissertation. This, this is relevant. Um, so this is from Mark five. Y'all know the story. They came to the other side of the sea to the country of, uh, Gersinus. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he uh, wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him night and day among the tombs and on the mountains. He was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you to God. Do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. 
and he begged Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged Jesus, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now, what Mark leaves out of this, and this is Peter's retelling, the Gospel of Mark is actually Peter's account. Uh, Mark was Peter's scribe. What, 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 what Peter leaves out of the story, because it would, have made, it would have made zero sense to people in the first century. It would have made zero sense to people in the first century had, had, had they included this. And this is not the only uh, this is not the only occurrence of this story. Uh, in, in the other um, occurrence, I believe it's in Luke. Uh, might might be Matthew. There are two men, and th- there's a reason uh, for the discrepancy. We don't need to get into. Well, uh, a very short reason is because of the way the stories are being told to the audience. They're being told you want to focus on this one man uh, as opposed to the two, uh, because you don't want to complex add complex, needless details to it when you're really focusing on the fact that Jesus has the power to call call demons out. Um, so there's the man in, in the cemetery. He calls the demon out. Uh, there are actually two men there, one not as afflicted as the other. And the demons possess the pigs. They run down the hill. They drown in the sea. What the scripture leaves out of this is that after they drown, well, demons are eternal beings. They're not going to die. They've got to go somewhere. And they did. Twitter.com. That that's that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. That that explains the existence of social media is that Legion drowning in this herd of two thousand pigs. You, you got these these two thousand plus demons, they gotta go somewhere. They go to the series of tubes known as the internet. They they shift in time. And, and come out on the internet. I, I, y'all, I am convinced. Uh, the, the, uh, listen, now, the scripture, I take scripture literally and, and seriously, literally where it must be taken literally, mind you. Um, it is the inerrant word of God in my mind, and there are angels and there are demons. There are things unseen, and you can start to get a sense of them when you get online. Evil is very real, and I don't know that enough people actually appreciate that evil really is real. Um, You know, so it's one of those things, uh, trying to engage with my kids, and I got to tell you, there there are many days, many weeks where I feel like I'm a failure when it comes to engaging with my kids on faith issues. It's something I talk to you guys about more so than my kids, Uh, and and it's something that I I don't want to be off-putting with them. As much as I want them to recognize that uh, that God is real and that that worldview matters, and prioritizing your life with with God first, uh, even above your parents, matters. And how do you do that? And and in this day and age now, you know that one of the the great problems of the world, particularly for 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 people in the media, for people doing what I do, I am in a ratings based business. And it is very hard for me sometimes to be mindful of the fact that I am in a ratings-based business uh, and and I still have an obligation to tell you guys what I think as opposed to what you want to hear. One of the worst things I think that can befall anyone is the desire to be liked by the world. Now, that's not to say you should not be a kind and good person and be a likable person, but there's a difference between being a likable person and being someone who wants to be liked. And you, you ha- there is this great desire on the planet right now 
uh, and you see it so reflected in social media and celebrity profiles and, and the connections you have to celebrities. I mean, how many of you, I, I'm always amazed. So, so I try to be very open and honest with, with who I am online. I, I've always been stunned. I meet celebrities and they are not what you expect, particularly and and. I realize an actor is playing a role, and so you you meet, for example, say Chris Pratt, who plays Star Lord in Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, or, or his character in Parks and Rec, and, and you meet the real him, and, and he's nothing like the character. He was playing a character; he was an actor. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is is let, let's take talk radio or let's take TV. You connect with the anchor, or you connect with the person behind the microphone, and uh, you you meet the person in in person, and they're nothing like who they are behind the microphone or who they're like on TV as as they're them. I I, I try very much to be myself, and there are a lot of people who who get behind the microphone and they become a character and ultimately become a caricature. And sometimes they actually uh, embrace the caricature so much they become the caricature of themselves. Uh, I know a person who you would all know who is exceedingly famous in radio, who is is world-renowned for blunt and frank advice, who over time we have mutual friends who have told me he has become that person that he was always uh, laced himself in, in his public appearances with a level of humility that in the last uh, number of years as he's found major success, that humility has gone away. And part of that, I think, is that he's expected to be that person. You, w- When you expect someone to come in and, and give you blunt advice and they don't, you're like, well, well you're, you're – you're mendacious, you're two-faced, you're, you do this on the radio, but you don't do this in person. And there's always a mouth there. I, I always try to be who I am. But one of the dangers in society these days is, is you want to be liked by the world. And, and there's so much about the world that you like. And and scripture, particularly if you're a Christian, the scripture is very upfront that the, the things of the world hate the things of God. And if you're of God, you're not gonna, the things of the world aren't gonna like you. Jesus said you can have uh, the house and you can have the wealth and you can have the great job, but you're gonna get persecution too if you follow him. And there are a lot of people who don't want the persecution. And so they're willing to abandon the truth and live the lie to avoid the bad things that might happen. And this very much gets back to the whole idea of conspiracy of you abandon reality, you abandon the recognition of role in the world, or you make simple things complex to be able to come up with solutions that help you sleep well at night or explain the world in a way that makes more sense to you than the way the world actually works or actually uh, allows you to absolve yourself of problems. I mean, this is the way the whole world works. I worry about this with with, with my kids and, and my friends worry about it with their kids who we, we live in a world that is so focused on celebrity culture and, and so focused on on, on society and, and culture and cultural engagement in the world. And do my kids give up eternity to be liked by the world? Do my kids give up eternity because they want to find a home in this world that precludes them from finding a home in the next? And it's something, and I, I'm, I'm bad about engaging on this issue. I don't know that I know how, which is kind of funny being someone who's gone to seminary. Um, and, and it's something that I think all of us have a hard time in personal relationships engaging with at a level that frankly is an off-putting because I encounter people sometimes who it is, it's genuinely off-putting to me. Uh, I, I love Jesus, but you know, not every conversation has to be about him. Yeah, let that sink in for a minute.
Um, and, and not every conversation has to be about Jesus. Not not every conversation has to be about your faith. Uh, and and you you know the people you encounter them, and everything has to be. Everything has to be a sign of the end times. Everything has to be placed into that uh, worldview where you may innately have the worldview, but you don't want to be the buzzkill at the party. Well, oh, you made guacamole tonight and salsa. Hmm. Where does Jesus, how is Jesus glorified by the, you know, the people who do that. I know the people who do that. And it, it becomes it it becomes a, a a lure in society to to draw your kids in, in particular. And you know, I say all the time to people uh, my age. So I'm in in my my mid mid forties now. I'm forty five now. I just turned forty five. And and tell people all the time my age that you know uh, the world by and large they're done with us. Uh, you, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And and while may, I may be decisively now middle age, the the, the the reality is that they're way more interested. The world is way more interested in your kids and corrupting your kids. And, and that's why social media becomes such a hard thing uh, because your kids go on social media and they see these people, YouTubers, the influence of YouTubers. You, you got a, a million followers on YouTube and, and you've got a fancy car and you're making nice money and you're 21 years old or, or you're on TikTok and you're 15 and, and you've got makeup companies sending you makeup and, and you're globally famous as a 15-year-old because you're an influencer on, on TikTok or Instagram or, or, or wherever. And your kid looks, I, I can't tell you the number of, of kids I know who now have their own YouTube accounts. Because everybody else has a YouTube account. And, and look at the influencers. And this is the way to make money these days. Here's here's one of the dirty little secrets of that, by the way. If your kid is one of those kids, you don't own it. Tomorrow, YouTube could change their algorithm and you're toast. TikTok could go away tomorrow and you're toast. You haven't invented your platform by which you become world-renowned. You, you've hijacked, you've latched onto someone else's idea and made yourself famous. And to a degree, you are beholden to that platform. And occasionally you can break free of it and go go elsewhere. But ultimately, how many of those people have given up the eternal for the temporary? How many of those people have given up uh, their faith and, and their ability to witness uh, for something else? So there's a a a, a gamer uh, my son likes called Ninja, and, and there are Ninja products everywhere. Ninja apparently he's not the greatest gamer, um, but but he's amazing to watch, and he's very entertaining. And he switched from one platform to another, and had the audacity to come out as pro life. And it was a bold hit in a in a world that devalues life for him to come out. And he claimed he, I believe he was adopted or or he was nearly aborted. And so he's pro-life and to talk about that. And it was amazing. And the kid was so famous, is so famous and so well-branded. It was really hard to blackball him. He got to a point where it was very hard uh, to, to, to blackball him. And it was amazing how the media just shut the story down. We, we, we're not going to run a story about this, no. And so there was buzzer, buzz, buzz among pro-lifers that this kid turns out to be pro-life, but but it just completely went out of the media. And, and otherwise, if you're if you're a conservative like with me, if I got a skeleton in my closet, one day it's going to come out and they're going to try to use it to destroy me. Because one, I talk about Jesus, and two, I'm a conservative, and, and you can't have those combos. Uh, so how much are you how much are you playing for the crowd now versus how much are you playing for eternity? 
I try to be very upfront with everybody at, at the risk of my audience. Listen, it, it was very dangerous of me in 2016 to come out and say I wasn't going to support Donald Trump for his election in 2016. We actually had people show up at our house to threaten us. Uh, but I, I, I still believe character counts. And but in, in then I actually thought uh, what we would get from his administration would actually be pretty, pretty to the left of where it actually is. I, I've been pleasantly surprised with what we've gotten with him. There are a lot of days I wake up these days thinking, ah, well, why even bother? If I go vote, I'll vote for him over 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 the left. But I mean, there there are some days I, I wonder why do I even bother? I, I thought deficits in the debt actually counted. I thought small government mattered. Uh, but and, and you see, you got to be careful saying these things because some of you, oh wow, he's gone side. He's a, he's a, he's on the left. I, I'm really stunned by people who've never participated in politics who who suddenly think that I'm on the left because I don't agree with them on their pet issue that they've decided they're, they're conservative on. And I'm like, what, what have you done for the conservative movement? What, what, have, what have you done to get people elected? Uh, what, what have you done to help the cause? But, oh, no, 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 no. You'd be amazed the number of people who also want to take shots at other people to try to build their own platform. And that's why, one, you've got to be grounded. You, you absolutely need to be a grounded person. And that's why conspiracy theories upend your grounding and, and, and detach you from reality. When you buy the conspiracy theory, it's harder to be grounded uh, when you're not living in the real world. You're not living in a reality-based community anymore. But I also do think you got to have a faith component in your life. Uh, you you got to be connected to something greater than yourself. And unfortunately for too many people, politics is becoming that thing that's greater than them. You, you got a lot of cultural Christians out there who say they believe in Jesus and on Sunday they're on their bass boat fishing and, and they're as involved in politics as, as much their religion as the left. And we see that where everything has become political these days. It drives me crazy, the amount of stuff that's political. I don't have time in my life to figure out what, what, what restaurant or product I need to boycott uh, because they're not sufficiently woke or sufficiently conservative. There are now... Now, apps you can get, believe it or not, for people on the left that tell you whether or not a product is woke. I, I wish I was making that up, but you can go to a grocery store and you can buy an app that tells you you shouldn't buy this product because the owner of the company might have donated to a Republican or might be pro-life. That is religious zealotry, uh, and it is it is transcending into politics these days on both sides, and it's sad to see. And well, as much as I got to do a better job with my kids and 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 really try to, to help all of us focus on the things that really do matter. And there's a lot of crap out there these days that does not matter that people are obsessed with. And ultimately, I think uh, if we keep saying that this is, is the last election or America is over, uh, ultimately the election ceased to matter as well. Because I was told last time definitively that that was the last election or America was over. And before that, I was told that in 2012, it was the last election or America was over. And America seems to keep going on. It's just the politi political rhetoric just keeps amping up uh, more insanely every single year. All right, let's be honest. Are you considering homeschooling your kids? Are, 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 are you? This is becoming a, 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 a sore spot uh, with more and more friends of ours. Uh, school options just looking bleak for everybody. I, I see that the Babylon Bee has a, has a uh, story. Let, let me pull this up. The headline homeschoolers to continue quarantining themselves from everything. Like always the nation's homeschoolers announced their plan to continue quarantining themselves from coronavirus, social interaction, pop culture, and everything else Tuesday morning. While the rest of the nation scrambled to quarantine themselves from the spread of the virus, homeschoolers were already prepared having previously walled themselves off from the world. 
A quarantine? No problem, said Jen Paulson, homeschooling mother from Western Pennsylvania. We're on it. Homeschoolers stockpile things like young earth science textbooks, Greek workbooks, classic movies, and classical works of literature and Bibles. They also rushed local stores to buy a bunch of toilet paper, but just so they could use the cardboard rolls for crafts. <laughs> Um, okay, I, I, I got to say something uh, re- regarding homeschooling, you know, the, these younger textbooks. Do you know, I know a guy who is an ardent atheist who was raised in the church uh, with, with a, a theologian for a father and for a mother. And do you know why he became an atheist? When he was in school, elementary and middle school, He went to a school that actually taught uh, young earth science that uh, people and dinosaurs lived on the earth together as happily as can be. And that around the world, there is a great uh, filament filled with water. And so, you know, landing on the moon is actually impossible because if you actually get out of the atmosphere, the atmosphere is like a bubble. And and if you were to go through the atmosphere, you would pop it and it would pour down the the water from the firmament above and and flood the earth again, just like in Noah's day. So it really, um, space travel is impossible. And, And he grew up believing this. And then transferred into a public high school and was was ridiculed, was the butt of jokes, was embarrassed uh, that he'd ever believed these sorts of things. And and fundamentally, he tried to go the religious route, actually uh, wanted to become a pastor and is now a committed atheist. And, And a lot of it is shame. And, you know, this is one thing I think that religious parents get so wrong uh, is is walling their kid off from the world completely. Uh, like uh, this idea of, okay, let's just, let's take the idea that, that the universe is filled with water actually. So space travel is impossible. You know, if you actually read the Genesis account, uh, the sun, the moon, and the planets are within that area where it is waterless. It it, it is the, the firmament is on the outside of it. So space travel is real possible if you actually carefully read it, but apparently there are people who believe the whole universe is filled up with water. Uh, and and who cares what science says? Science is wrong. The Bible says, and it's a misreading of the Bible. And and then you get the kids who believe that oh well, mankind roamed the earth with the dinosaurs, and then they get out into the world and they get ridiculed for their beliefs and they turn hostile to their faith. I, balancing that out is is something you, you got to be careful with. And there's a lot of good homeschool curriculum out there, uh, and homeschoolers get bad jokes. And a lot of it, I gotta I gotta believe this isn't a conspiracy, folks. But there actually is teachers unions in this country uh, that really hate homeschooling because, one, it deprives schools of funding. When your kid doesn't go to school, your school doesn't get as much funding because the kid stays home. But also, uh, they're not able to indoctrinate the kids in what they want. And and how dare parents be able to raise their kids in their religious faith? Uh, And, man, the hostility for homeschooling is only going to grow as more people decide to do it because of the virus. Uh, Teachers unions are going to demand union dues from homeschool parents again. They just can't help themselves. I mean, they, they really can't help themselves. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. Uh, the phone number, you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. So I, in, I, my show has completely gone off the rails today. Nothing that I said I was going to talk about in my show notes I've actually talked about. I had Charlie cut up all this audio for me today, and I've barely played any of it. We'll get to some of it, um, including Herschel Walker's comments on Black Lives Matter. We'll get there. But I completely off the rails. Nothing nothing I intended to talk about I've talked about, except 
conspiracy theories. I, I did get to conspiracy theories. And one of the things I said, my public conspiracy theory, the conspiracy theory I'm willing to admit that I have, and I don't really think it's conspiracy theory, and neither do you. You know it's true, too, is that the Chinese have sympathetic American journalists working in newsrooms on their behalf, and some of them are on the payroll. I, I guarantee you uh, that if if we ever were to defeat the communist Chinese and get into their uh, secure archives, much like we did with the Soviets, we would find that there are American journalists getting paychecks from China under the table. I, I guarantee you that's happening. But whether they're paid or not, there are certainly those who are sympathetic to China who are willing to push Chinese propaganda in American media outlets. And uh, so I said that in the last hour. And then uh, here comes this from The Washington Post. I had not seen it before I said that. And a friend of mine who's listening to the program sent it to me. Sure enough, here is the headline today in The Washington Post. This is not an opinion piece, mind you. This is not an opinion piece. This is an actual news story. The headline Trump's Trump views China's Communist Party as a threat. Young Chinese see it as a ticket to a better future. The overwhelming humidity of the Chinese summer was not enough to stifle the ardor of the crowds of 20-somethings honoring Mao Zedong, the founding father of communist China. Some took fairground-style miniature trains, while others ran three miles through the heat to reach the giant statue of a young Mao, China's equivalent of Mount Rushmore, staring out over the Zhenging River. My grandmother was so happy when she knew that I was coming to Chengsha, said Xi Yuzin, a 22-year-old student in Beijing, as she jostled on a recent day for the perfect selfie with a great helmsman, she told me, you must go visit Chairman Mao. Nearby, sweaty recruits from the 23rd Metallurgical Construction Group, part of a state-owned construction and mining firm, gathered to recite one of Mao's poems, Changsha. I ask on this boundless land, who rules over man's destiny? They shouted in unison. The answer is the Chinese Communist Party. After seven decades in power, the ruling party has faced potentially existential challenges over the past year, from pro-democracy protests in Hong Kong and an economic slowdown to a devastating coronavirus and most recently once-in-a-generation floods that have wrecked destruction across central China. But far from diminishing its stature at home, as some in the Trump administration appear to believe, the party's response to some of these crises has helped solidify the support of existing and aspiring members, or at least neutralize grumbling. Chinese who were complaining in February about the party's coronavirus cover-up reflect more positively on their experience now that they can see, through the American example, how much worse it could have been. It's strange to think of the Communist Party as weaker because all of us feel that our country and our party has grown stronger in the face of this epidemic, says she, who was dressed more like a pop star than a propaganda star. Like her father, she joined the party at age 20. Good Lord. I mean, these people carrying water for the Chinese communists. I'm telling you, uh, it, it is, it, it, I, I don't think it is, I don't think it's a, a conspiracy at this point, I, I think it's absolutely true 
that there are members of the press who are so anti-America, Donald Trump has broken them, and they're so anti-America, they've become so pro-Chinese, they're willing to peddle Chinese propaganda, and, and there are others who China has on their payroll. And you, you, this is we're going to start seeing more and more of this, and then you got to remember the media industrial complex in the United States. All of our media outlets, with the exception of Fox News now, because it sold off 20th Century Fox and Disney, all of our media outlets in this country, with the exception of Fox, are beholden to the Chinese for their box offices. CNN, owned by Warner, Warner Brothers Studio. ABC, owned by Disney, which has Disney Studios. NBC, owned by Comcast, that has Universal Pictures. CBS, owned by Viacom, that has both Viacom and Paramount. Uh, what are the other ones out there? Well, CNBC is NBC. Um, you've got the Washington Post is owned by Jeff Bezos that has Amazon uh, that wants to make inroads into China. You've got the New York Times is an independent brand, but I mean, they've always hated America. On and on it goes, these media outlets uh, the, the Chinese can can steer their propaganda, particularly through TV news, because all the major outlets, except Fox News now, except Fox, Fox sold off its its TV and it sold off its movie studios and all. Fox is the only one not beholden to China. And that's something you should be aware of as the media shapes the news now. It's not just that. This is the story I want to talk about. I'm finally getting to the story I wanted to talk about. Pickup trucks. Yep, that's right. We're going to talk about pickup trucks, folks. I I, I kid you not. Uh, Ryan Cooper, who Ryan Cooper is a blue check mark on Twitter. He is a national correspondent for the week. Ryan Cooper is of the left. Uh, he he writes for the week, uh, which is a, a a national publication. He is clearly uh, of the left, and he is incensed by this article in the Wall Street Journal. Let me read you the headline. Pickup trucks are getting huge. Got a problem with that? This is by Dan Neal. A few months ago, on an ordinary day, in an unremarkable Costco parking lot, I was nearly squashed by an unusually large pickup. Thank God I was wearing a mask. (laughs) Okay, that's a good line. As the chrome grill closed on me like a man-eating Norelco shaver, Time slowed. It seemed I was watching myself from afar being nimble for a man my age, darting from the path of a towering limousine black pickup with temporary plates whose driver barely checked his pace. Jerk. What the hell was that thing? A 2020 GMC Sierra HD Denali? It was huge. The domed hood was at forehead level. The paramedics would have had to extract me from the grill with a spray hose like Randall Gerald's ball turret gunner. He didn't even see me. Later, I returned to my car. I noticed something. The parking lot was dotted with similarly enormous luxury pickups. Many new, many taking up two spaces. Ram, Ford, Chevy, GMC. They stood out like Percheron's in a herd of Shetland ponies. What is going on? How did pickups get so big? And why are XL size pickups so big now? 
I know pickup trucks at Costco film at 11, except that in April, U.S. sales of pickups surpassed automobiles for the first time ever. 112 years, give or take. Trucks and truck-based sport utilities now account for 70% of new vehicles sold in the U.S. How we came to be pickup nation is a longer story. Cheap gas, the chicken tax, IRS Section 179 marketing. But this year, to help move the tin during the pandemic, U.S. automakers laid out a bounty of discounts and cheap financing, including 0% interest for 84 months and deferred payment plans. Pickups, without a doubt, benefited from the great deals, said Mark Shermer, spokesperson for market service providers Cox Automotive. And the deals were particularly great for consumers buying expensive vehicles. The data shows these incentives also juiced a boomlet in XL-sized heavy-duty pickups, otherwise known as three-quarter ton and one-ton pickups for private use. That's right, Gucci Cowboys, historically aimed at commercial customers, sole proprietors, horse haulers, and mega RVers. Heavy-duty pickups are stronger and taller than ordinary half-ton trucks with cabs mounted high above reinforced frame rails and heavy, long-travel suspensions. But HD trucks have evolved in the past decade, irradiated with the same prestige luxury rays as light-duty trucks. There you go. They're too big. Well, this has caused a meltdown by some members of the media led by Ryan Cooper of the Week. Let me read you some of his Twitter. It is glorious. I, I, I hope you're sitting down. You will laugh and laugh as I have laughed. Here thus begins his, his Twitter thread. Sales of mega pickups, which have basically been deliberately designed to intimidate and kill pedestrians, are booming. The trend of six-foot grills that create massive blind spots and pull people under to be crushed when they're hit is 100% a marketing gimmick. Hundreds of conservatives here doing their best to demonstrate that, yes, huge trucks are about postmodern culture war signaling and unsubtle Freudian neurosis. A light truck can be a useful tool. I've owned one myself making the grill six feet high so you can't see if you're running over your kids does not make it more useful. It does the opposite. <laughs> My buddy Jay Cost. Let me read you the, the opening tweet again from Ryan Cooper. Sales of mega pickups, which, pickups, which have basically been deliberately designed to intimidate and kill pedestrians are booming. My buddy Jay Cost, he says, basically, the word basically in your tweet is doing more work in that sentence than Atlas carrying the world. <laughs> I mean, this guy, this guy is, I mean, just, just safety conscious suburban moms are going to be driving drag line excavators in 10 years. Oh my gosh. Okay, listen, uh, I, I, can we just, for starters, let, let's clear the air here. If you, have a, if you have a giant pickup truck, learn to park it in a single spot, please, because this is a thing. Uh, I, I can't tell you the number of times I, I, I just, just for reference, so that we're, I, I understand, I have a 2019 Yukon Denali. It is massive, and it's black, 
and it's shiny, and those slow pokes from Florida in the left lane, I can get right up behind them and scare the bejesus out of them, and they get out of the left lane. That's why I have, That's why all these people have big pickup trucks, because you want the big pickup truck, because you got the slow poke from Florida who comes up 75 and won't get out of the left lane, which is for people to pass. And so you got to get right up behind them and tailgate them to intimidate them to get them over. Let's just be honest here. That is one of the, the reasons that you have a big pickup truck is because you have the slowpoke from either DeKalb County or Florida, who Duval County, it is always, I don't know why it is Duval County, but it is Duval County, Florida, and they come up the interstate on 75 doing 45 in the left lane, and you're not allowed to kill them. And so you have to intimidate them to get them over into the right lane. I personally prefer a law that allows us to have missile launchers to kill the slowpokes in the left lane because it is a crime against humanity. You are slowing down all the traffic. The other day I had to go up, um, I, I had to go up to Atlanta from my house in Macon. And there was a person in the left lane, and I am not exaggerating when I say there were 10 cars behind that person, and there were 10 cars because 18 wheelers were in the middle and the right lane. And clearly this person did not want to be in one of those lanes behind one of those. And so they decided to drive at the exact same speed as the 18-wheeler they were next to with everyone lined up behind them and people couldn't get around. And you could see when you're coming up the hill, the 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 car that was tailgating and behind him was moving uh, back and forth into the emergency lane and back to try to get the guy's attention to step on your gas and get around the freaking 18-wheeler. And he wouldn't do it. And we were all insane. As a result, I mean, these idiots, and sure enough, sure enough, the punchline, sure enough, we got up to, it was a Prius, and it was from Florida. And all you want to do is you want to run that person off the road. And all you can think is, is I'll go to jail for killing the guy, but maybe the jury will understand. So you gotta have a you gotta have a big car when you live in Georgia to get in the left lane behind these idiots from Florida who don't understand that the left lane is for passing or for moving at a high rate of speed. But more than that, you also need the big truck for because you know RV and is a thing. You you can't you can't go to the beach. The the, the press is you're not allowed to go to the beach anymore. And you can't go to a hotel anymore. So you got to have an RV. You want to go? You got to go to the woods. You got to keep away from everyone. So you need a big truck to haul it. And they're trying to shame you people for doing that. The level of tone deafness here. I, I I you know if 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 the media the liberals in the media could set public policy, we would all have unicycles and one point two five children. And that's it. And probably hemorrhoids too. If, if, if the left and the media got set, set the example and, and, and set social policy, this, this is what we would have. They want to shame you for driving a, a car of your choice. If you can afford it, God bless you. I want an Aston Martin myself. One day when this show gets into syndication, I'll have a NetJet subscription and an Aston Martin. One day when I win the lottery or this show gets into wider syndication. But still, it, it, the, the entire meltdown from people for driving a big vehicle People on the left, they don't they don't like that you get the choice to do that. They, they, they want you to do whatever you want to do in life as long as you have their permission. And they don't come to Georgia where we have people from Florida driving 45 in the left lane and we got to have a big truck to run them over. This hour of this year program is brought to you by Dynamic Money. Let me tell you real quick about Dynamic Money. I actually uh, use Dynamic Money as my financial planner. They manage my 401k. Uh, but more than that, they're kind of primary care physicians for your finances. Uh, they don't sell you anything. They're not commission-based. They're, they're uh, fee-only. 
but they have structured their fees so that the middle class can access them. You know, most financial planners that are fee only are for high net worth individuals. Uh, so the fees are extraordinary and it keeps the middle class out. Uh, Dynamic Money is actually designed for the middle class uh, to get you comprehensive financial assessment analysis uh, and and help uh, in a way that you otherwise couldn't afford. And normally, if you're in the middle class, you got to go to a financial planning firm that's commissions-based, and so they want to sell you life insurance or they want to sell you an annuity or, or they want to they uh, take a commission on refinancing your house. No commissions at Dynamic Money, just honest advice to help you with your finances. They will help you with your 401K. They can manage your 401K. If they do manage your 401K, they do get a, a fee for that like anyone else who would manage your 401K. It's, it's standard fee. Uh, they help you with your budgeting. They analyze everything you've gotten. The cool thing about them is like, you'll sit down with fine, uh, with dynamic money and, uh, they will like Chris Burns who sat down with us. It looks as though, you know, you're getting your insurance from here. You can get the same insurance, uh, car insurance and homeowners insurance from this company and it'll save you 200 bucks and there's 200 bucks saved. Uh, or they'll look at your your life insurance and say, you know, you're, you're getting a, a term life insurance policy from this company, but if you actually were to go with this other company that has better rates, you'll actually save some money. And hey, you know what? It, given the income that you're at, why don't you get some whole life insurance as well? Uh, and and you'll be able to cash in that policy later if you need it. If if not, you'll be able to use it if something happens. Uh, it's just it's really great. With, with us, we actually went to them because we had a lot of credit card debt and needed to figure out how do we how do we deal with our credit card debt. And they looked and they said, do you know how much equity you have in your house? If you refinance your house and cash out some of your equity, you can pay off all your credit cards and you'll actually be lowering given interest rates of what you had versus what you can get. You'll actually lower your monthly payment on your house and you'll wipe out your credit card and you'll have more income. I, something I would have never thought. I don't have time to think of stuff like that. That's what dynamic money does, and that's why they call it dynamic money. How do you dynamically use uh, the money that you have, the money that you might be able to have, uh, to build a whole life wealth plan from your retirement to an emergency fund to savings accounts to teaching you useful budgeting skills to even they can help teach your kids budgeting and finance skills. I can't recommend them enough. Uh, we started out with dynamic money, gosh, a year or so ago before I started this radio program, uh, we were Dynamic Money, and, and I got to be friends with them, and they stepped up. They wanted to sponsor the show because they can help you anywhere you are in the nation. Dynamic Money can help you. They can reach you by Zoom, by FaceTime, by Skype, whatever. They can sit down with you. Uh, they can do it all over the Internet with you. They give great, solid advice. You'll be able to sleep well at night. I highly recommend Dynamic Money, uh, and I recommend this as a customer of theirs. Uh, as someone who actually relies on them, and now they do manage part of my 401k, not all of it, some of it's within my company, but uh, part of it they manage, and they do a very good job. Uh, they're very transparent, uh, and they give me great peace of mind in um, my financial situation. And frankly, budgeting, which is a skill I never really learned great, uh, and with Dynamic Money, I'm learning budgeting. My wife and I are coming up with a budget plan uh, I just, I can't recommend them enough to you. Dynamicmoney.com is their website. Go check them out. Tell them I sent you to them. Um, and they're good people. It's really for the peace of mind. Financial peace of mind, particularly in this economy, is, is something you need. And you can get it with Dynamic Money. When we come back, there's other stuff we got to talk about. We, we, we actually, we, there is more stuff. I'll try to get back on script, including the headlines. I put off talking about the virus, but when we come back, I need to meditate with you on three headlines and also some Georgia news for those of you here in Georgia. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show, and the phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. 
if you want to be a part of the program. I, I've got three headlines. They come from the Macon uh, Telegraph. They're, they're the same three headlines you can find at the, the Columbus Ledger Inquirer. Please meditate for a moment with me on these three headlines. They are headlines uh, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Here's the Saturday headline. Georgia exceeds 190,000 total COVID-19 cases in Saturday's update. Here's Sunday's headline. Georgia reports more than, now I'm sorry, this is Sunday. I, I got it wrong. Let me start over. I don't want any confusion. These are the Sunday, Monday, Tuesday headlines. So on Sunday, the headline was Georgia exceeds 190,000 total COVID-19 cases Saturday. The Monday headline was Georgia reported more than 3,100 new COVID-19 cases Sunday. And the Monday headline is Georgia reported nearly 2,300 new COVID-19 cases Do you notice the, the, the trend there is 190,000 followed by 3,100 followed by 2,300. If you text the word data to 33777, you will get back the Georgia Department of Public Health link. And it will show you uh, where the data is. And the data is is most interesting when you look down at the chart and you choose date of onset as opposed to date of report, and what you see is a steep, steep, steep decline in COVID-19 cases in the last several weeks. Uh, the high was July 6th, 5,605 cases. When you get to yesterday, which was the third, well, the, the chart falls off on the third. Uh, let's go to July 31st, you get 1,157. When you get to the 14-day the window for the seven-day moving average, you get to 3,266. So you got 5,605 cases on July 6th. And when you get to the outer edge of the seven-day moving average, you get 3,266. And now, in fact, you get 2,300 cases. Now, the weekend case count tends to be a little lower, so it'll go back up a little bit. But we're seeing a dramatic fall off. I don't think it is helpful for the media to fixate at this point on cumulative cases, nationwide or by state. It doesn't really help people to know there are 190,000 total COVID-19 cases in Georgia, which is the, the headline from Sunday about Saturday's data. What, what's actually helpful is to show that the trend is going down. From a few weeks ago, there were over 5,000 cases to uh, just yesterday, 2,300 cases. There's a clear progression uh, in a reduction of the virus. We do not know if the virus will go back up. We, we do not know if cases will spread again. There are a lot of people who are concerned about what happened in Israel. Israel went back to school. Well, now we actually have data on what happened in Israel. It turns out that in Israel, when they sent kids back to school, you know, all the stories about major viral explosion in Israel when they sent kids back to school. Uh, one of the things that happened was 
They sent kids back to school. There was a heat wave. Their policies at first were masks and open windows. They closed the windows, turned on the air conditioning, and let all the students uh, not wear masks for four days. That's right. They closed the windows. The air circulating was stagnant air. And all the kids got to take off their masks, and the virus exploded. You know, um, here in middle Georgia, there are growing parental concerns in some of the private schools uh, because the private school, many of the private schools, our, our kids' schools actually being very proactive, uh, kindergarten through 12th grade, but a lot of the private schools in middle Georgia got together and came up with a standard plan for reopening and unfortunately left elementary school out of it uh, because the data at the time was that uh, elementary school kids aren't vectors for the disease. And the problem is this is we are now August 4th. We are really seven months into learning about the virus. It is new to us and the data is changing. And we now know that elementary school kids actually can get the virus. And they typically get milder cases of the virus if they get it, but they're also vectors for spread. We saw this now in Israel. We've seen this now in Ireland. And we've seen this now at the the YMCA camp at Lake Burton. Uh, we do not know yet how many parents of elementary age kids at that Lake Burton camp got the virus from their kids, uh, but there are now reports that some of the parents did. So you can see that that having a, a plan to reopen your school that doesn't contemplate doing anything different for your elementary school students is going to be a problem. I, I, I have spent way too much time on school openings. I, I don't really want to spend a ton of time on it again. I, I, sound, I feel like I'm a broken record. When I get tired of a topic, I figure y'all are tired of a topic. Uh, but I, I do think it is, is worth reiterating very briefly that there are ways to open schools. It needs to be data and science driven. And every single school that's opening needs to have better sanitation protocols. There are, for example, uh, air filtration devices you can get that use UV light or circulate hydrogen peroxide within the air system to help kill viruses and bacteria. You sh- your school should have that. Your high school kids should be wearing masks. You should not be using a lunchroom. You should not have kids piled into the halls together. If they're in the halls, they need to be wearing masks. You genuinely need to actually have time set aside where the kids go wash their hands. That sounds ridiculous. You've been sitting at your desk for the last hour. Why do you need to go wash it? Go wash your hands. You need to have sanitation protocols for spraying down rooms. When the kids leave the room, get out the can of Lysol and spray. There are things everyone can do to get schools back up and running. There are, you know, there are things you can do to help minimize the, the presence of the virus if, if you even get it. Zinc. I actually have started taking zinc. I am not a homeopathic person when, when it comes to, to uh, you know, a, a essential oils and all that stuff. I, I, we've got loads of friends who, who do it. My wife spends a lot of money on doTERRA essential oils, and there are benefits, uh, for particularly for breathing. My kids have allergies, and, you know, that you get the peppermint oil and the like, and, and it works great. And, yeah, there's plenty of research out there that shows lavender can calm and soothe. Uh, some of the stuff, though, I mean, I, I know people who believe that essential oils cure cancer. There are things that can be done, uh, and one of those actually is zinc. Uh, zinc is is a supplement, and, and I'm aware that people have figured this out because you go to a CVS or Walgreens, it's almost impossible to find. you got to order it online. Uh, but we now know for certain, 
and we've known this with the common cold, which is a form of coronavirus, just like uh, SARS, COVID SARS, that zinc actually works against the virus being able to spread in your body. Uh, It's not going to prevent you from getting the virus, more likely than not, but it can prevent you from getting a serious case of the virus. Now, how does it work? Well, I'm not a scientist, but... (laughs) <laughs> Always dangerous to do that, isn't it? I'm not a scientist, but I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night. No, um, it, from what I've read, zinc essentially gets into your cells and it makes it more difficult for the virus to then penetrate your cells. But also, uh, given the way that the coronavirus is shaped, you know, the coronavirus has those little tips. You, if you've seen pictures of what the virus looks like, it's got those little crowns. Uh, that's why they call it a corona, cor- corona for crown. It's got these little crowns and the crowns attach into the cells and the zinc makes it harder for them to attach to your cells. So it can minimize your chances of getting the virus. It's not going to necessarily prevent it, but it can minimize your chances. And then if you get it, it can minimize the severity of, of the disease. So, it, but you got to start taking zinc um, before you get the virus. And I, so I highly recommend if you're, if you're a teacher and you're headed into school, start taking a zinc supplement. Talk to your doctor. I'm not a doctor. Talk to your doctor. Uh, it, it may impact medicine your own, but take a zinc supplement. But also, if you're a parent, start talking to your kids right now. And, and here's here's the this is really important because some of you let's go back to the first hour, second hour, and conspiracy theories. Some of you are convinced it's a conspiracy theory; it's no big deal. More importantly, particularly in Christian schools where where my kids go, Jesus, Jesus is gonna pre- the the coronavirus fears. Jesus, just just pray to Jesus, and you, you know you know what, um, Jesus Christ could get a human cold. He was fully man. If Jesus was fully man, he couldn't die because he was also fully God, but but he was fully man, and so he could get a cold. Jesus Christ could get COVID-19. If he were alive today, Jesus Christ, in his unresurrected, pre-resurrection body, could get COVID-19. He wouldn't die from it, but he could get it. If you don't believe me, uh, the man was tortured, crucified, beaten to within an inch of his life, nailed to a cross, and then dead. He, he could get the virus. Um, don't say Jesus is going to protect you from the virus. Uh, Jesus isn't going to protect you from death in this lifetime. We all go through it. So did he. And and the number of kids I, I, I have encountered, the number of parents who just, you know, we're just going to pray to Jesus and he's going to protect. You know, he, 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 he could. It's no guarantee, though. Um, he also expects you to use your common sense. Um, it, it, you know, you, you can believe that Jesus is going to protect you from death and jump out of an airplane without a parachute. And I, I assure you, he's not probably going to protect you from that, particularly if you're above 10,000 feet. Um, so you got to use some common sense here when it comes to it. Uh, take a zinc supplement, uh, wash your hands, wear a mask, uh, keep socially distanced. And, and for those of you who are going to schools and you've, your school has ignored elementary school, you're going to have problems. And, and I, I need to be genuinely sincere with you because I I do try to keep up on the data for everyone else. If you're going to a school and your school has decided, well, you know, the research says elementary school age kids aren't vectors for the virus. Therefore, we're not really contemplating making them wear masks or reducing the number of kids in a classroom or making them be socially distanced or keeping them in their rooms for lunchtime. Your school is going to be a vector for the virus because we now have updated research over the last several months that shows, in fact, our initial assumptions on this as well were not true. Kids can get it and kids can spread it. When kids get it, they tend to have a more mild case, but that doesn't prevent them from having a mild case being a spreader of the disease. It is less likely, but it is also possible. 
So you need to remember that as, as someone who's working in a school. In fact, I was talking to someone yesterday who told me that uh, they're starting to have teachers decide they're not coming back to teach because they're, they're, um, they are, well, how shall I put this? That they, they are skeptical of their school's plans. And as a result have decided that they're just not going to go back and teach. They don't want to put their health at risk. Now on the opposite side of this, you have some teachers unions that have decided to advance their political agendas. I mean, for example, in, in California, I'm sure you've read, there are teachers unions who say they, they're not going to have their teachers go back. The teachers unions are going to have the teachers go on strike. If the teachers go back to deal with coronavirus and the police are still funded. I, I, I wish I was kidding on this, but I'm not uh, in New York. The New York times ran a story the other day that there are some teachers unions out there that are saying, not only do they not want teachers in the classroom to teach kids, but they don't want virtual learning either. They don't think that the teachers are equipped for virtual learning, so let's just not have education. But listen, let's be honest. When you're a teacher's union and you believe that 2 plus 2 can equal whatever you want it to, 2 plus 2 can equal pumpkin, uh, what's the point of even having a school? Homeschool your kids if you're in a situation like that. I think uh, here in the Erickson household, we're going to attempt to send our kids back to school because we are confident not only that our kids' school has it together, but also has, uh, we'll take it seriously. You know, our kids used to go to a private school where they had rules in place and, and no one ever took them seriously, and it caused, has caused a cascade of problems over time. Uh, our, our current school, they, they take everything seriously. Um, I, I'm worried about having parents in the school who think Jesus is going to protect their kid from the virus while their kid's going out and fringe-kissing COVID patients. Um, I, I'm, I'm worried we, we may have situations where they just haven't taken it seriously and they could bring the bring the infection in. A, at some point, is it worth the risk to get your kids back in school and, and reassociated with people? Yeah, I, I wonder if it is. We're in a high-risk household ourselves. And I'm, I'm hoping uh, that given the school that we, we go to and the people who are in the school and the character of those in the school, that they will actually take it seriously, if not for themselves, uh, for us and, and for those kids. Where there are a number of kids in the school who they're being raised by their grandparents, and the older you are, the more high risk you are. And so I, I certainly hope that the uh, people who are at the school, all of them, if not for themselves, even if they think it's a government, if they think it's a media plot to own the president, will at least show some level of respect for the concerns of others and treat it seriously. And I assume that's the case there, but I can't assume it's the case everywhere. You're you're on your own here, people. Uh, you, you know, if this is going to sound bad when I say it, and I don't mean it to sound bad, but there is something to consider here. One of the things that is happening that I think ultimately will be a net positive from this situation is that more and more people are realizing that they have to do what's in the best interest of their family and they can't rely on the government. And some of you may want a government to make all the decisions for you, but increasingly people are now having to pay attention to their kids' education. They're having to take uh, their kids' education into their own hands. They're having to take their family's well-being into their own hands. They can't rely on a government to do it. And ultimately, I think long-term, that actually helps. That actually helps us realize that we do not need to be dependent on the government, and often the government is incompetent, and the government is just a, a, a an organization filled up with sinners just like you and me, and, and why should we rely on them for the health, safety, and well-being of our family when we can take the matters into our own hands? And whether that means more homeschooling or, or more discernment in, in what we do in life, I think ultimately that may be a, a net positive, one of the few net positives to come out of all of these trying times. Breaking news. I, I'm I'm sure you, you need this news. New polling has Joe Biden ahead of Donald Trump by 40 points. 
in California. This is why no one takes polling seriously. Who does anyone remember? Remember when? Um, remember when George uh, W. Bush's team decided that they were going to try to make a play for um, California in 2000, and they diverted resources from Florida for how did that work out for them? Um, no one takes seriously the idea of uh, Donald Trump is going to win Florida. It's just, it's not going to happen. Not Florida, California. Uh, So why even bother? It is a waste of polling resources to poll, uh, to think that that something like that is going to happen. It's just, it's not. Um, By the way, um, there's just been a massive, massive explosion uh, in Beirut uh, at their port. Now, I realize this doesn't affect many of you or any of you, and you're wondering where the heck is Beirut? Beirut, Lebanon. A, a massive explosion. I'm, I'm watching the mushroom cloud. It is not a nuclear attack, but my goodness, uh, to start with, it almost looked like it. Holy cow, that was a huge explosion, complete with the, oh, gosh. Wow. Uh, the aftershock there is is incredible in these videos that are just starting to come in. Um, I'm, I'm not playing them down the line because I haven't vetted them for profanity, mind you, but there's a, a great big old explosion that happens and we will learn more on that. Uh, reporters who are in Beirut are starting to, uh, tweet out videos of the, just the damage to their apartments and stuff and the car alarms going off. Uh, I will keep an eye on the story throughout the day, uh, and bring it back up with you tomorrow as is warranted. One thing you need to know if you live in Georgia, governor Kemp has signed the beer, wine, and liquor delivery law. With the COVID-19 pandemic changing the way we shop, the governor decided Monday he would sign legislation authored by State Representative Brett Harrell. It allows stores and some restaurants to deliver beer, wine, and liquor at home. Um, This is a way to upend regulation, but it's not going to happen. Don't don't call your local grocery store and ask them to send over a six-pack of beer today. It's going to be a while. Uh, and the reason why is because the tax revenue department has to come up with regular. Naturally, they got to come up with the regulations on this. It is the Department of Revenue that oversees uh, alcohol sales and whatnot in Georgia. They've got to come up with regulations to make it happen uh, for home delivery of beer, wine, and liquor. Um, increasingly, uh, in fact, we have seen uh, there have been uh, over 400,000 requests for delivery of beer, wine, and liquor from grocery stores and liquor stores and the like in Georgia uh, in the past year, and they have dec- they've got to decline by law. They're not allowed to, and the the case escalated, and uh, Kroger and Publix, brew pubs, and other businesses have lobbied to be able to do this because they keep running into this with Instacart and other home grocery delivery services. Uh, They're still having people having to come to the stores to get their beer, wine, and liquor when all the rest of their groceries can be delivered at home. So it escalates that, that, um, that, that supply and demand issue, which, you know, is, is good. Um, But you're going to have to wait for the department of revenue and the department of revenue in Georgia has a history of trying to sabotage these things through regulation. We will see if the Kemp department of revenue behaves any differently from the Nathan deal department of revenue that you will recall, tried to sabotage um, uh, beer breweries selling direct to the public, even after a law was passed, allowing them to, Uh, we will see if that, if they'll be able to do it. Good news. If that's the case in Georgia for people.